good to, to have you back up here. It, uh, it gives me a shot in the arm, if nothing else. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be reading this morning from verses 3, uh, 3 through 9. choir has just sung. We are raised with him. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. Today we're going to see that truth here in what Peter reveals to us. So let's read God's word together. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, Father, we pray that you might be pleased to speak to us. Lord, the truth is, is is we've come here this morning for a lot of different reasons, with a lot of different things on our minds. Now, now you speak. And so, Lord, we pray that you would focus our hearts, focus our minds that you would give each one of us exactly what it is that we need. A word of comfort, a word of conviction, a word of peace. Maybe even a word of hope. Father, we pray that we would see Jesus, the, the one who is raised high and lifted up. That he would live in our hearts in this time by the power of your spirit. Lord, I can't teach this in a way that would penetrate to our hearts. But you can. And so we ask that you might be pleased to do that now. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Born to a living hope. Well, I wonder this morning if I were to ask you to make a list of all of the things that you had hoped for, or maybe that you do hope for even now in life, what type of things might you put on that list? For most of us, there surely would be some kind of silly things on the list, right? You know, we might hope for a national championship for Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Some of you might hope one day to meet somebody who was influential or famous. Some of you may even hope for a million bucks. We hope for a lot of kind of odd things. My question to you is when we hope for those kind of silly things, what are we really doing? Do we have any expectation that those things will actually happen? 
You know, I've been a Mississippi State fan going on 38 years, and some of you have been fans a lot longer than I have, and I have just resignated myself to the fact that, that it's just not going to happen. It's just we're not going to get a national championship, and all you Ole Miss fans should, should do the same. It's just not going to happen. And so when I hope for that, when I hope that they will win one, what I'm doing is really just making a wish, right? It's a wish that's just shot out in the dark somewhere, and I have no expectation that it will actually ever happen. Now, back to our list for a second, because there's those silly things that we all have, but then, of course, there's the more important things too, right? The, the things that, that are really important to our lives. We may hope, you may hope now for some needed, significant change in your life. All of you parents, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life your kids are in right now, all of you hope for great things for them, right? You hope that their futures will be bright, that they will have all the things that, that they want, that they desire. We hope for those things. And how many of us, all of us, I'm sure, have at some point in our lives hoped for the miraculous? We've hoped for healing. We've sat next to the bedside of someone that we've loved, and we've hoped that they would be healed, that they would be made whole again. Those things, those hopes, they at least feel more significant, right? They should have more to them than just a wish, than just a shot in the dark. But here's the problem. If we're honest with ourselves, when we, in our culture today, when we say hope, even about those big things... What we're doing is not really that much different than what we're doing when we say we hope that Mississippi State will win a national championship, is it? It really is just a shot in the dark. It's really just a wish that we are saying ourselves. That's, that's really where our mindset is at. We don't have any expectations, really, of what might happen. But friends, if this last year of COVID. And I told somebody yesterday, the, this time last year, I was sitting on my back porch preaching into an iPhone, getting ready to upload it on the internet. If that has taught us nothing else, if all of the chaos, all of the change that, that we see around us almost on a daily basis, if it has taught us nothing, it has taught us that we need hope. We need a hope that is secure, a hope that is unshakable, a hope that we can rest in even if, even when, everything else falls away. The question, of course, is where do we find a hope like that? Maybe a better question is, does a hope like that truly even exist? Well, in the passage before us this morning, Peter seems to be suggesting to his readers that that kind of hope does exist. He's writing to this group of early Christians who are facing unbelievable persecution from a corrupt, from a, a unbelieving government and society. They, they have been uh, forced out of their homes. They have been forced out of their jobs. They've been forced away from their families. Some of them have or they will face death. And all of it is due to their faith in Christ. 
And so you have to imagine that on some level, these people are asking the hard questions. And they are looking for hope. They're looking for something that they can stand on as everything else seems to shake, as everything else seems to fall away. They need something that will last. Hope for the past. Hope for the present. And hope for the future. It seems that that's exactly what Peter is keen to give them. Look at verse 3 there. He begins, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born to what? Born again to a living hope. Living hope. Now friends, it's that just two little words there. That, that phrase that I really want us to, to focus in on today. And what I hope we will find is that no matter where you may find yourself right now, and the reality is, is that we are all in a lot of different places, right? All of us have come in here with different expectations. All of us have come in here with different places in life, different things that we are focused on. But no matter where you may find yourself right now, here, today, we find hope. Hope that lasts. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage is a hope that is rooted in and is for the past. Again, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here, Peter points us to the work of God in the lives of these people. And what is it that God has shown them? He has shown them mercy. They are born again out of his great mercy. And we said earlier that we live in a world that seems to be very concerned with things like justice, things like peace, things like mercy. And honestly, we may throw that term around a lot like we do hope. We say it. But I wonder if we truly know what it means. Maybe intellectually we do. We could probably give a definition. But I wonder if we actually do it. Do we put mercy into practice? I think if you stop for just a second, you're going to find that the resounding answer is no. We don't do that. In a more general, positive note, our schools, our jobs, our judicial system, they are all based on a system of merit, right? You get what you deserve. If you work hard at school, if you work hard at your job, you'll get a raise. You may get good grades. If you don't break the law, you won't go to jail. You get what you earn. You get what you deserve. And look, that may have its place, but that's the reality of our culture. On a more negative side, and this is, seems to me to be a, a new phenomenon... But you know as well as I do that we live in a time where if a person says something wrong, they say something that they shouldn't say, and that's scary for a preacher. If they've ever said anything wrong, and again, that's scary for somebody who's recording this right now, then you run the risk of being canceled, right? You run the risk of having everything you've ever said be irrelevant, now, however you feel about that, the truth is, is there's no mercy in that. We have no place for mercy to forgive, to say, yes, you messed up, but I'm going to show you a little bit of mercy. We don't do that. 
We have no concept of that. But here, here Peter reminds us that the Christian hope, it begins with mercy. It is rooted in mercy. Not in what we've done, not in what we deserve. It's rooted in what God has done for us. He has looked upon us, and though he sees all of our failures, though he hears all of our wrong words, though he knows the deepest sins and the deepest recesses of your heart, though he knows it all, and though he is the righteous and holy judge who has the right to to cancel us, he has the right to punish, what has he done? The gospel says that he has given us mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. He has not given us what our sins deserve. Though we have all gone astray, though we have fallen far short of his great glory, he has loved us with a never-ending, never-stopping love. He's shown us that love by sending Jesus to come and to die for us. The burden our sins deserve are placed on him. Now that's important. It's really important, so I'm going to say it again. The burdens that your sins deserve, it's placed on Jesus. You see, the mistake that we often make with mercy is that we don't show it, or when we do show it, we show it at the expense of justice, right? We say, oh, you're forgiven, we just won't worry about that. But somebody feels like they've been wronged, right? That justice has not been served when we do that. But friends, if God is just, if he is merciful, if he is holy, he has to be all of those things all the time. And so he can't show us mercy without justice. And so what does he do? Well, Paul says he becomes both, he's the justifier and the judge. He's both. He pours out his justice not on us who deserve it, but he pours it out on his son. He pours it out on Christ. Every inappropriate look, every stray thought, every word, Jesus has suffered for that. We saw this Thursday, if you were here, as Jesus is in the garden, as he bears that great burden there. Whose burden is that that he bears? It's mine, it's yours. The weight of our sin, it falls on our Lord so that God can be just. He can't simply sweep sin under the rug. He can't simply say, oh, we just won't worry about that. No, he pours it out on Christ. And from the cross, Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is cursed on our behalf. But what does he give us? The the flip side of mercy is what? It's grace, right? Mercy and grace are the flip side of the same coin. He takes all of our bad stuff, but in his grace, what does he give us? He gives us all of his righteousness. Paul says we're clothed in it. He's given us new garments, garments that were filthy, garments that, that were soiled now white they're clean they're christ he has given us a new life 
He, he has given us all that is His. All of His merit. All of His goodness. So that now when the Father looks down and He sees His people, what does He see? He doesn't see our stains. He doesn't see our guilt. He sees His Son. He sees the goodness of Jesus on our behalf, in our place. Friends, that's mercy. That's real grace. That's what Jesus offers us here in the gospel. Friends, the only hope, the only basis for hope this morning is in these words. It's not in the world. It's not in science. It's not in ourselves. All of those things change. We, we've seen that, right? Again, over this last year, we've seen science change a hundred times. It changes. We change. But hope based in Christ, it will sustain you because it doesn't change. Better yet, he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so in order for us to move on from this, and I know you're ready, but in order for us to do it in any meaningful way, in order for us to consider hope past right here, I have to ask you the question, do you know Christ as your Savior? Is your hope resting in Him? Have you received His mercy? Have you received His grace? Friends, the great wonder of it all is that He invites us in. He invites us in guilty as we are. He invites us in with all of our sin. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he promises to give you rest. And so today, if you are still in your sin, if you still bear the guilt of your sins, friends, don't leave here without considering Jesus. Don't leave here without seeing what he has done for you and what he has done for me. This is a hope that is not a shot in the dark. This is a hope that is not a wish. It's a hope that is true and sure because it rests in one who will not be moved. See, hope in the past. Secondly, I want you to see here in this passage, hope that is living in the presence. In the present, not presence. Hope that is living in the present says there again in verse 3 that we have born again to a living hope. Now what does living imply? Well, we can say what it's not, right? Living is not dead. Dead hope is what all the other things in this world offer us. Our jobs, our bank accounts, our toys, all of our stuff, those are dead hopes. Now they're necessary and they're things that, that are good gifts of God. But if our trust, our faith is in any of those things, they will never sustain us. Eventually, they will fall away. If not in this life, certainly in the next. And those things can't carry you through the trials that we all experience. They only offer a dead hope. But hope in Christ its living. It's a great word. It's a great way to describe it, right? It's vibrant. It's lasting. It's joy-inducing. It's what he says there in verses 6 through 8, right? He says, in this, you what? You rejoice. What he says that we rejoice in, it seems counterintuitive. It seems there's no way we can rejoice in these things. He says, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
going through hard times. Their, their faith is being tested. He says, but you rejoice. It's as though you have not seen the Lord. You praise and glory and honor him. This is a living, joy-inducing hope. It's vibrant hope for the present. Why? Because Christ is alive. That's what he says there at the end of verse 3. That is the basis for our born-again living hope. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Our hope is living because our Savior is living. I said it to the kids down here, but I'm going to say it again. We're gathered here today not to worship an ancient set of ideas. We're gathered here today not to worship a prophet who is long dead. We're gathered here to worship today a king who is alive, a savior who is on the throne, a savior who walks with us at every point of our lives, a savior who intercedes on our behalf. He rules heaven and earth now, this second, today. He's alive. And because he is alive, that means our hope today is alive. It's working. It's doing what it's called to do. Every area of the Christian life is lived under the watchful eye of our Savior. Friends, I want that to be an encouragement to you this morning. And I pray that it is. But it's also a reminder to us that true faith in Christ is not dead faith. Paul says that that whether we eat or drink, no matter what we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That's important. Because often when we come here on Easter, we hear that the Lord is risen, and then we go out into the world and we say, well, what do we do now? What we do... We live for Him. James, he says it another way. He says, faith without works is dead. That's tough. That's tough for us to understand. But what he's saying there is not that we're saved by the things that we do. No, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what, what James is giving us there is that if you truly are saved, if you truly have this living hope, then it's going to be reflected in the way that you live your life. It's going to make you long for, on some level to be with God's people, to come and worship and praise Him. It's going to change the way you see your job and your family. It's going to change the way you treat the people that you pass in the streets. It's going to change the, people that are on the, the way you treat people that are on, on the other side of the aisle from you. Wherever that may be. It's going to change the way you see this world. We can't be in Him. The Holy Spirit can't be in us. And us live the same as we always have. Oh, He is changing us. The Spirit is changing us. If He is alive, and friends, He is. If we live every moment under His watchful gaze. And it should change the way that we are living today. And so we have hope. Hope for the present. Hope that sees you through trials. Hope that allows you to go out into the world and live for Jesus, even when it's unpopular. Even when it's not easy. Even when we don't want to. 
It's hope that sustains us and sees us through today. Well, we've seen hope rooted in the past. We've seen hope that is living in the present. And then thirdly and finally in this passage, I want you to see a hope that secures our future. A hope that secures our future. Now, somebody might say to all of this, well, well, this is great. You know, talk about secure, unshakable hope is good. But what if life's troubles? What, what if they don't work out the way that I want them to? What, what if my troubles don't pass away? What if I have to live with these things all the way through? Does that mean that, that, that something is wrong? Does that mean that the hope didn't work? Is hope lost if my life turns out to be a mess? Isn't this just the equivalent of what we said at the beginning? Just a wish? Well, friends, let me point you there to those last words of Peter that we haven't considered. He points us in verses 4 and 5 to a future hope. A future hope that will sustain us. A future hope that we can look to even in the mess, even in the trials of, these, of this life. First there in verse 4, he points us to an inheritance. Now some of you may be waiting this morning on a future inheritance. Some of you may, may long for that. And it does. It gives you some amount of security, right? As you look forward to what may be coming one day down the line. What Peter gives us here is something far greater than any earthly inheritance. He says there that it's imperishable, that it's undefiled, that it's unfading, that it's kept in heaven for you. It reminds us of those words from Matthew chapter 6, right? Jesus' words in verses 19 and 20. He says, don't, don't lay up things for yourself here on earth, but lay up things in heaven where, where things don't rot and things don't rust and things don't pass away. Here, Peter says, we have that inheritance. And it's there in heaven with our Lord. Again, because it's there, because it's with Him, it won't be lost. It won't be moved. Even if our lives fall apart. And friends, the reality is, is that often our lives do fall apart. But even then, the faithfulness, the love of the Lord is true. It is real. It sustains. It will not let you go. Notice also, what are the, the contents of this inheritance? Well, there's lots of things we, we could list. Mansions and streets of gold and no more sickness or pain or sorrow. Every spiritual blessing being fully ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. But friends, you've heard me say it many times. And as long as I'm in this pulpit, I will say it many more times. The chief inheritance, the thing that we look forward to the most, is not any of those things, though they're great. The thing that we look forward to is seeing Jesus. It's seeing the risen Savior face to face. It's falling at His feet. It's worshiping Him. It's rejoicing in what He's done. It's, it's Him stooping down. In wiping the tears from our eyes, all the mess that you have made of life, all of the trials and hardships, he stoops down and he wipes them away. Now, friends, I know we're in a Presbyterian church, but that should make you want to get up and dance. That should make you want to get up and shout and sing. I'm tempted to do it, but I'm not going to. That's good stuff. That, that's the truth of what the gospel gives us. 
And notice, one last thing. Notice that it is secure. It's a hope that is secure. Verse 5. All of this inheritance is kept by who? By God's power. It's being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed when? At the end times, when Christ returns, then what we only see as through a glass, what we only see partially now, it will be fully revealed to us. Then Christ will come. And all of us who are resting in him, we will be raised with the newness of life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, it'll be the shout, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. We will meet him in the air. Friends, our future is secure. Our future hope is secure because Christ is alive. And because he is alive and because he has ascended to God's right hand, he is the first fruits, right? And now what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's what we're talking about again with the kids. He says, your faith is useless if he's not been raised, but he has been raised. That's the first fruits. And what does first fruits imply? It implies that there's more fruits to come, right? Well, guess who those fruits are? It's you. And that's I. If we're resting in Jesus today, that's a guarantee for us. He will surely get us safely home. And so today, friends, I don't know what you're going through. And again, I suspect that in a crowd this size, there's a lot of different things that, that we could point to. But Peter here has reminded us that there's hope. And there's only one sure hope. And it is hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. A hope rooted in the past, in His mercy. A hope living in the present, despite all the changes, all the trials, right now, in the present. And it's a hope that secures our future. It's an anchor. An anchor for our souls. It will not let us go. It will not let us get away. And so, friends, whatever heartache you may be facing, I can't guarantee you that it'll end. I can't guarantee you that it'll go away. But what I can offer you is I can offer you Jesus. And friends, he is better. He is greater. All of the, all of the trials of this world, of this age, they are nothing as compared to the joy, the, the inexpressible joy of knowing this Savior. Do you know him today as we pray together? Father, we do bow before you. And we praise you for what you have done for us in our resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who does not know the truth of the gospel, who's not experienced that mercy, that grace that you freely offer to us, Lord, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts even now, that you would not give them a moment's peace until they are resting in you. Father, for those of us who are, who are trusting in Jesus, Remind us today, we pray, of the hope that we have. Father, the reality is, is often life is hard. It's full of trials and difficulties. It's full of disappointments. Sometimes they're disappointments that others do to us. Sometimes they're disappointments of our own making. Remind us that you have shown us mercy. Remind us that you have given us a hope that is secure in the present. And point our eyes ahead to the goal, to the prize that awaits us, that future hope, Jesus Christ standing there, calling us in, 
wiping away our tears. Lord, make that live in us so that as we leave this place today, we would go out, we would shout it from the rooftops, we would dance and sing the truth that Jesus has turned our mourning into dancing, that he has placed a song in our lips. Lord, make us active, make us vibrant, living people for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.